Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Well, hello, TLCC. It is so great to be with all of you today. Uh, If we've not met before... exactly how I feel towards all of you. And uh, if we've not met before, my name is Christian. And uh, Ben kind of was saying this earlier, but uh, for context sake, um, I'm one of our online campus pastors along with my wife, who was just leading that song. And uh, prior to that, we just moved to London eight months ago. And while we've been in London, we've been our online campus pastors. But prior to that, I was on staff uh, at our West Orange campus for, I don't know, like six or seven years, and Amanda a couple years longer than that. So coming back after eight months of being away and not visiting has been uh, extremely trippy the last like two days. It's like a lot of out-of-body experiences, you know, uh, remembering the smells and the feeling and uh, experiencing the joy of people driving on the correct side of the street has been very, very nice. It's pretty treacherous because if you think, right, like we're in the middle, we're in like central London, Farringdon, if you guys have any familiar with London. And it's like, there's always a lot of cars, a lot of stuff going on. And you have to be like hyper aware of just which way to turn your head on the street to figure out what's going on. It's very confusing. I will say I have loved being in New Jersey until I had to drive in New Jersey. My heart rate has been great in London. You know, it's like a nice slow pace, feeling good. Immediately, it get cut off, and uh, I had, you know, new fingers I had, did, forgot I'd had for a long time in my life. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. However, honestly, though, I was driving. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I, don't think I can do this again. All right. So I'm super thankful to be here uh, for these next few weeks. Uh, again, as Ben said, our, our lead pastor is also my dad. They're on sabbatical, and so I'm going to be able to uh, take part in this new series for the next three weeks, preaching in it called Heaven on Earth, A Cosmic Renewal where we'll be discussing what heaven is, how heaven is coming to earth to renew the cosmos, and how we can experience renewal in our lives today because of this. And this has actually been one of the central questions uh, throughout my studies. So I'm in London right now studying for my PhD in theology and art. And this question about the relationship between heaven and earth, uh, or specifically what's called eschatology, or the study of the end or of the end times is, is the kind of the technical theological title, is something that I'm, I'm focusing on and have been for the last few years. And I was interested in this topic because I had so experienced uh, uh, growing up an an active cognitive dissonance, uh, a confusion between two competing thoughts that that don't seem to be able to be reconciled. And it's essentially kind of summed up simply in this. What is the point of living today, of our lives today, when we are supposed to, our goal of our life is to be in heaven eternally? How do we reconcile these two thoughts? And at least that's often what we've been told are the two competing realities. Now, what impact does heaven have on your life today? It might have some sort of psychological impact in that um, it's something exciting or maybe not exciting with how you understand heaven that you can look forward to in the future. Maybe it provides hope amidst difficulty or dark times today. Maybe it encourages you to persevere right now in your faith so so that you can experience what God has for you in eternity. And now none of these sorts of streams of thought 
are false or wrong in and of themselves at all. In fact, they're all good and positive. But we have to realize that none of those ways of understanding or conceptualizing heaven actually has anything to do with our lives today, aside from it pointing towards the future. All of these different streams of thought have almost a psychological impact that encourages us to wait for what's going to happen in the future, but doesn't impact our lives today. And so what I want to ask is today and over these next few weeks really is, what are we waiting for? And what are we doing here right now? What do we do about poverty? And why does scripture care about it? If our goal is to go off into heaven eternally. What matters about our lives right now? What do we do about health and sickness, which scripture does seem to care about right now, the physicality of the world, when our goal is actually to go to be spirits and living off in heaven? What do we do about Jesus crying at the death of Lazarus and then resurrecting him from the dead if Lazarus is still going to then die in the future? and go live eternally? Why is Jesus emotionally broken at the death of his friend if the goal is for us to live in heaven, in a spiritual realm, eternally? What do we do with Jesus enjoying the materiality of life, of enjoying meals with people, with his friends, with his followers? How does this almost worldly things and realities, poverty, sickness, human flourishing, the physicality, materiality of life pair with our understanding of the goal of our whole lives existing in a spiritual realm off as spiritual beings. So I hope that these are just questions to frame. Everyone understand kind of the issue potentially sometimes in our world with how we understand heaven? I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. And a lot of you, a lot of what I'll say today, you understand already and you've heard this. And I hope that this will be uh, put in a little bit of different ways or answering some other questions and to uh, encourage you in truth. And for others of us, I encourage you to be open to hold these questions in tension and hopefully uh, represent an image of what uh, uh, the Christian story is and what God is doing in our world today and how it will impact you. Okay, so I think a big part of this cognitive dissonance that we're discussing, these difficult competing ideas, is that we often think of heaven, of going to heaven, that phrase specifically. We think of going to heaven. Have pretty much all of us said that phrase before at some point in our lives, right? We've kind of all, like that's usual, that's common language. When what I think we really need to emphasize and focus on is heaven coming to earth. See, the Christian story is not about floating off as a spirit into a heavenly eternity. This is the teaching that much of us have received or currently understand about Christianity. And just think about a lot of like pop culture Christianity. It's like, um, you know, like, uh, end of the world's like, stories and the world's going to hell in the most, almost literally way in this sense. And it's like crazy and you think of, you think of the world at the end of time and you think of like fire and there's a car on fire in the street. I don't know why that comes to mind exactly. And it's like the goal is to make sure that you like hold on so you can go get away, right? The goal is to hold on. Everything's being destroyed. Everything's chaotic and crazy and we're just trying to get away from this mess. Or I don't know if any of you grew up as kids. I'm sure for some of us this resonates and for others of us you're going to think I'm an absolute crazy psycho and that's fair because this kind of is. But um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this but when I was a kid uh, I remember if I would like wake up and no one was in the house <laughs> I'd be worried <laughs> that you know they're all, they've got taken to heaven. 
they went away to a good place, and I thought a bad word yesterday, and so maybe I'm stuck here because of it. And then I like run around the house and check the rooms. Anyone? 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 Maybe you can like do a low hand. Some you're know, like, huh, I don't, don't want to identify with it. But that's like, a, like an actual thing. Like, I know people who actually experience significant anxiety because of that or lasting effects because of that. And then you'd go and you'd run around the house and you'd like check all the rooms, you know? And like, <laughs> and then like I would check the garage and then there'd be no cars in the garage. And I'd be like, I doubt God took them with their cars. <laughs> so maybe they just used their cars and went somewhere else. Um, Actually, the other, the other day, when we were, I, was, I was like walking into our flat, and uh, maybe, maybe the worst part about living in the UK is their dryers for like your clothes are non-existent. It's terrible. It's like they, they make these one little units, and it's a washer dryer in one unit, and you would literally have to like, if I put these pants in there, you'd have to, you'd have to dry it in like, through like five cycles, and maybe it would be clean. Like, I mean, maybe it would be dried. So everyone hang dries all of their clothes. So basically, there's always clothes, like, strewn all about the house. And so I walk into the flat one day, and I walk in, and this is what I see. And I'm like, this is more purposefully arranged than normal. Has Amanda been taken away? So now she has a habit of, the other day I was like walking up the stairs, I don't have a picture of it, and there were just like clothes draped in like the form of a human body. And it's like, Amanda's been taken away and I'm stuck here. I could have promised that I was better than her, God. I promise you I was better. No. You haven't seen her since. No. All right. That's kind of how I can think about it in playful but somewhat serious ways sometimes. And this teaching has had traceable effect to Christianity's relationship to life in the world. Um, one author says that this, this type of thinking has resulted in a distancing from the world, a virulent anti-worldliness amongst Christians. What do we do with the world, with our lives today, with what we've been given in our context around us, if it is not our destiny and we're supposed to not like this stuff and we're supposed to look for this other thing. So we have to change our perspective. We don't have to live with the cognitive dissonance. It's more so that we have to re-understand the teaching of Scripture and what God's doing because he does have purpose for this world. And in fact, the Christian story is not about going away to go live off in heaven. The Christian story is concerned with God bringing renewal to this world. We have to reorient our understanding of what heaven is and of what the world is. And I think this starts by understanding that heaven is not our eternal resting place once we die. That is not what heaven is. Is anyone like, did Christian go become a heretic in London? Like, what what are they teaching him there? Heaven isn't our eternal, I'll qualify this and all that kind of stuff. But we have to re-understand when we think of the word heaven, something different is coming into our mind. What heaven is, more specifically, it is the spiritual dimension in which God has dominion. Or it is the place of God's rulership and reign. We also know it terminologically by the kingdom of God. It is generally used synonymously, uh, interchangeably within scripture. So we see Psalm, uh, in Psalm 11, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. So heaven is not something far off into the future. Heaven is a distinct reality that currently exists. It is a distinct thing that exists right now. In the same way that 
we feel and experience the physical world or a physical dimension, so too a spiritual dimension exists in all of its fullness right now that is just as real. I believe we go into philosophical arguments for all this kind of stuff, but that's not the point of today, but more so just teaching what Scripture teaches, and that, you know, that's conversation for, for another time. But that a spiritual reality exists right now in which God is ruler and leader. It's where his leadership, his loving leadership is fully affected currently, opposed to this world in which there's leadership in certain uh, 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 ways and areas of brokenness and sin and evil. The spiritual realm is where God is fully leading. See, Jesus' main message, I would argue, was the announcement of the coming of God's reign in the world, meaning the inauguration of heaven coming to earth. Jesus was announcing God's rulership coming to the world. Therefore, the place of his rulership, heaven, was actually coming to the world. He's saying to everyone, my kingdom is coming again to the world today. Jesus' message was not how to go to heaven, but was how heaven is coming to earth and how we can be a part of heaven on earth. Jesus was not outlining a checklist of the things that we have to do to go make it into heaven once we die. Right? You've done like your five things right. That was a bad mark though. That wasn't good. And you go back in the scriptures and you're like, what does Jesus say that I should do? Oh, I do all these things. Therefore, at the end of time, I'm going to get judged and I'm going to go to heaven and live with God. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus, right in, in the time of his life, was announcing a very real reality in the moment, saying something is changing right now and you all should be a part of this. As a scholar N.T. Wright says, Jesus was perceived as a prophet announcing God's reign. He was not simply describing God's kingdom. He was claiming that in his words and deeds and then vitally in his forthcoming death, he was bringing it about. He was bringing about God's kingdom or heaven. Um, most church tradition has not taken seriously Jesus' kingdom proclamation. Most Western Christians have assumed that kingdom of God meant going to heaven when you die. That is flat out wrong. But if we get it right, i.e. sharing Jesus' vision of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, this revolutionizes how we read the gospels, how we understand Jesus, and how we imagine the church relating to Jesus and his story today. Jesus was announcing that the coming of the kingdom, that, that, that the kingdom was coming in the present world in part. But to conceptualize this and understand how this fits into what's going on into the grander scheme of the, uh, scheme of the story and narrative, we have to kind of revisit some of the basic plot points of the Christian story and scripture. And so real quickly, we'll bounce all the way back to Genesis, and we see in, in uh, the beginning of time that God creates the heavens and the earth. And what you have initially is this creation in which heaven and earth are together in a very real spatio-temporal sort of way. That God creates creatures, the pinnacle of his creation, and he lives and exists with them, or he walks with them. He walks with them in the garden, and he's having presence and space with them. And that walking concept is actually similar to, to a temple language in Scripture, where you have the actual presence of God in the Old Testament temple. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. But you have the presence of God in the temple. There's this unique presence of God in Eden, where you have the kingdom 
of heaven, God's leadership in his rule and his domain is manifest with the earth. The two exist together at the same time as distinct realities, but realities that are in intimate relationship with one another. Does that make sense? And so the goal of Adam and Eve was to be the image bearers. And to be an image bearer, it's a vocational or functional uh, uh, concept that uh, you could see throughout other cultures as well, just as a term. And it was basically someone who was leading on behalf of someone else. And so what Adam and Eve, what humanity was and is tasked with doing, is, is tasked with being the people who continue to, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to cultivate the world. They're supposed to cultivate the earth. They're, they're intended to spread Eden throughout the world. They're supposed to continue to bring heaven to earth. This was a process that God was enacting. But as we sometimes do, we did not want to have God's dominion in our life. We, did not, we, we wanted to reign ourselves in the kingdom of the world that we make for ourselves in our own image rather than uh, operating under the leadership of God and being the image bearers that we're continuing to allow and, and, and to help to manifest God's leadership over the rest of the world. And so we kicked God out because God is nice and he doesn't come to parties that he's not invited to as I had a professor once always say to us, God let us take leadership. But what God's been doing is enacting and working out a plan over time of re-infiltrating the world, this original creation that was good, of beginning to bring heaven more and more to earth. Everyone good? We're tracking. All right. All of creation has been struggling since then. All of creation has been groaning in expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Because the children of God are the ones who are tasked with the vocation, the role of expressing God's heavenly love throughout the world. But by abdicating responsibility, we, were, we are left in a precarious situation. And what God has done over time is he picks out people over time. First of all, Adam and Eve, he picks them out and say, hey, spread this thing. And then he goes and he gets, you know, different people and he uses Noah. And he goes and gets Abraham and he builds a family and he's picking out image-bearing people, heaven-bearing people on the earth. And he goes and he spends time in the temple and he, his presence is uniquely in the temple in some sort of way and in the tabernacle and in Zion you see it. And there are these moments of heaven on earth, little spots. And what God is saying is, I am trying to renew the world so that things can be how they were originally intended to be. God has been working out his plan to bring together heaven and earth again. He isn't working out a plan to get people to heaven because we are designed as creatures, as beings, who are supposed to live in the world with God's heavenly presence here. And what Jesus came to tell the world was not, how do you go and get to heaven? He was saying, everyone, God's been in this incredible plan, and right now, something new is happening in that plan. A new phase of God's reconciliation project, of his, of his renewal project, is taking place. And he came to say that I am the actual Messiah who am bringing and bearing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so what a lot of people thought 
in the ancient Near Eastern context is that, or in, in, for, the, for the Jewish people, is that um, the, a Messiah would come. And there were lots of other people in Jesus' time who said that they were the Messiah, interestingly enough. And they thought that it would be, you know, someone would come and rule and defeat like the Romans who were leading over them and defeating their enemies in battle, and that they would figure out how to, how to create a new kingdom. But what they missed is that Jesus was bringing a different kind of kingdom. He was bringing a kingdom that they didn't expect or understand. Is that what we can often do is we continue to build our own kingdoms and defeat our own battles and build our own edifices and in and, and our own communities and our own. And what God's doing is that, no, my kingdom is not a kingdom of this world or the physical kind of, kind of kingdom you expect. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, but that doesn't mean that you just focus on the spiritual. It's that you focus on bringing the spiritual to the physical. We're bringing these unique realities together. And what this does is this changes how we read a lot of scripture, I think. Because sometimes what happens is you hear stuff like this, and then you go pick up your Bible, and because we've been been taught to read certain things in certain ways, you go back and it's like, well, this seems to go against what Christian was just saying. But we have to re-understand certain words and certain ways of reading. So for instance, when we read um, uh, like John, uh, in John 3, we see Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, when we typically read this, we might think this means I have to be baptized and experience the Holy Spirit, and therefore, this makes me good enough. I'm going to go to heaven. No, we change this. When we see Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We might think, I have to have a certain kind of disposition of what my spirit looks like, maybe, maybe not being humble, or uh, maybe being humble, maybe not being proud. And if I do that, then I'm going to be good enough, and God's going to let me get into heaven. I have to be like in right relationship with him so I can experience this kind of thing. No, what God is saying is that right now, today, when you experience the water of baptism and you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, that right now today, the poor in spirit, those who are brokenhearted, the kingdom of heaven today is experienced by those people. Something of heaven touching earth is occurring when we are following Jesus right now today. The Christian life is not waiting around to die, and to experience God. This is a certain aspect where we're going to experience him fully in the future, but right now, today, we should expect to experience the kingdom of heaven on earth. And this was Jesus's proclamation. Today, the kingdom is coming. Put your trust in me and your faith in me, and you will be a kingdom person. There are interesting implications for this, I think. One being for us to realize that God actually likes the world. Which is kind of confusing sometimes, right? Because we we use the word world negatively a lot, or we think of something that's like worldly or bad, and then it's automatically bad, and then you you want to avoid all of those types of things. Now, we know that there are scriptures that use the word world or even flesh in ways that appear negative. And so we take this to mean that the world, physical things, like materiality, you know, like you can't enjoy stuff too much. You know, like you can only have dessert like twice a week because it's too worldly if you have it every single night. 
It's like that kind of stuff. But there's this embedded feeling of like physicality, or you have to rationalize if you enjoy something that's nice, or if you, uh, I'm not rationalizing spending money on things. That, that's, that, that's not, that's not the, the point of this at all. But you have to rationalize if you enjoy the things of the world in physical materiality. Um, uh, but, but the reality is, is that uh, we have to re-understand this concept of world and how we talk about the world. Now, there's some scriptures that make the world seem super negative that lead us to say, no, bad world. First John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Pretty straightforward. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm like, I'm going to go paint all the walls in my room black and wear a hazmat suit and just like wait until heaven's coming. You know, it's like, I can't touch the world. I can't do anything in the world. I have to eat like, uh, you know, meal replacement shakes. I can't have anything that tastes good because it's leading me into sin of lust of the world. But we have to realize that uh, 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 what's happening with the language here? Uh, the Greek word here, for instance, in the original language for world is cosmon. And I've been studying for a while. I have to bring Greek into it so that you guys can believe that I have been studying at school for a while, because I have been. So now I get to talk about Greek and all this stuff. Shout out to my Greek tutor who's named Jack, who's like five years younger than me and knows like 17 languages. And he's English and he teaches, you know, like, you know, he, he has a very heavy accent and I have no idea what he's saying 95% of the time. He's the one teaching me Greek, so I might be completely wrong in what I'm talking to you about right here. No, just kidding. Okay, the original Greek word in this, in this scripture uh, for world is, is a Greek word called kosmon. In scripture, the New Testament was primarily written in Koine Greek, and so that's what we're going back to here, uh, just to give you some context. And so kosmon is the Greek word, but you have to realize in other scriptures, you also have the Greek word kosmon used. For instance, John 3.16, which says, for God so loved the world, the cosmon. Or you have in John 9, the same word. He is the light, Jesus is the light of the world, the cosmon. So you have, do not love the cosmon or the things of the cosmon. And then you have, for God so loved the cosmon. And then you have, Jesus is the light of the cosmon. So what do you do with these things, right? Is the scripture just self-contradictory? Well, no, I don't think so. We have to realize that in the ancient Greek, there's a large semantic range for a word, meaning one word can have a lot of different emphasis depending on the context and where you're using it. So it's like, it's like hard sometimes when you read things like this, and a lot of times we actually interpret or translate scripture in a way that, that meets our preconceived notions. And so physicality is framed in, a, in, in, in terms of like the translation in a negative sort of sense to where we think that world and flesh and all this sort of stuff is bad. But what actually it's telling us not to love is not the world, meaning physicality or material, because guess what? Creation was good when God made it. It's talking about, as Strong says in his commentary, uh, cosmon means something more like endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures. It's basically stuff that we're loving in the wrong way, right? The thing is, is that we can love the world without putting our hope in it, without making physical thing in a bad way, our lives to where we make idols of things. That's when we get misaligned. We have disordered loves. We can love it while not putting our hope in the world. What would it look like for Christians? What would it look like for you in your life to wake up and be like, wow, I love the world. I love the materiality of it. I love that it. it's broken. It's a little bit messed up. But what changes and shifts in your perspective of your understanding of your relationship to the things actually around you? 
as kingdom of heaven people, we aren't just focusing on the spiritual stuff, the inner prayer time, it's 100% important. We also care about what it means to do something with this world because God destined them to be together. And what God loving the world means, naturally, is that the world isn't going into the trash bin at the end of time. And I think this is often how we kind of think of it. Or like, you know, I'm saying like we think of it, it's like some little intuitive little thing in the back of your mind. Like, well, if I really picture it, I imagine, you know, like some sort of destruction or some sort of like brokenness and we disassociate with this world. We develop this sort of virulent anti-worldliness sort of thing. But in fact, the vision for eternity is one in which there is a renewed earth with heaven on it at the end of time. And that is where we will live eternally. That in some sense, there is actually, in some confusing way that we don't really understand because we see through a glass darkly right now. We don't know what it's going to be like exactly. We can just see what the scriptures are saying about it and pull out basic points. But it seems like there's going to be some sort of continuity between this world and the next world. So we see in, in Revelation 21, um, this is the last book of the Bible, our canon as we have it. And there is a, a vision from John, and he's having a vision that God is giving him of the future of eternity um, and, and what it's going to look like. So he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away. So note that new heaven, new earth, passed away. The sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God will dwell with us. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then from here we have figurative details of what the world will actually be like. You have, you have a metaphor and poetry describing this absolutely beautiful new heavens and new earth place. And it's, it's talking about there's like streets of gold and there's these incredible walls and jewels. And it's also, it's, it's like, um, people call it a, a, an arboreal city temple. Arboreal meaning like trees like and stuff. It's, it's, like, it's like a garden temple city as the vision for where we will exist eternally. There's physical stuff and all that. Now, it's not being literal in a lot of these respects because what you see is that like the, the, the streets, uh, streets of gold. Has anyone ever heard like streets of gold as like the kind of end time vision sort of thing? Well, it's the same imagery uh, of the temple of the Holy of Holies. So basically, in the Old Testament, you have, you have the temple, which is where God asked the people of God to build this incredibly beautiful space so that he could dwell in with the people. It was that breaking, that, that coming of heaven to earth in a space. And it was unbelievably beautiful, lined with gold. There are incredible jewels that had meaning and were reflecting God's beauty and this beautiful veil. And it was this incredible space in what, in, in, that God uniquely existed in. And then John, like that's, that's all the way back in the Old Testament. That's pretty early on, okay? And then you have John, a, not a couple thousand years later, but almost a couple thousand years later, who's talking about this stuff again. And what he's saying is that that little incredible heaven on earth, holy temple space that is beautiful, he's describing a city and he's like, it's going to be lined with gold. There's going to be all these jewels. The walls are going to be like this. And so what is he telling us? He's, he's saying this old thing we had in the temple back in the day, imagine that little special space 
where only one person could go into because the glory of God was so incredibly strong. Because you can't see, they would have cloud, clouds of, of incense that they would put up because they didn't want to see God's presence because they were afraid that they would die in the midst of God's presence because it was so overwhelmingly glorious. And so you have this special sacred space and you can't really completely enter into it. And what John is telling us is that space back there, imagine that over the entire whole earth. That is where you are going to live eternally. But now, because you put your trust in Jesus, you don't need the incense to blow up so that you can't look him into his face because when you put your trust in Jesus, he makes you right with God to where you are holy enough to see God face to face. That's, that is the kingdom of heaven expectation we have. And it's not going to be with a harp on your Tempur-Pedic cloud, you know, thing. It's going to kind of be like this, but way different. All right, I can't jump ahead because I'm very, okay. So when we go to the scripture in Revelation 21, we see a new heaven, new earth, things are going to pass away, okay? Now, what does that make you, in the former things have passed away, uh, the sea was no more, right? So what that makes us feel like is that what is here right now, this whole cosmon is going to pass away, die, there's going to be a new one made. Well, let's go back to the Greek because I study now. Um, I got glasses now, you know, like I feel, I feel very professional and I have to use big words and say things in Greek. Um, okay, so we see the word new here, so let's just focus on this for one second. Um, does this mean that the world's going to pass away? The use of, uh, uh, when, we, when we see, that there are at least two Greek words for new, right? One is neos, which means something that is completely and quantitatively new, okay? So it's like you saying, I got a new car. I neos, you know, a car. No, I got a neos car. I don't know. I've only been studying for a few weeks, so just give me like a little bit of a break. Okay, so you have neos as one word for new, and then you have kainos, which means, which is new, but it's something that has been recreated or qualitatively new, right? So quantitatively new versus qualitatively new. Quantitative, there's a new actual object, like a new number of thing, versus qualitatively new, something about the quality of the thing is new, so to where it's like kainos, the second form, it's like, I got a new car, versus I got a new kitchen. Let's say that you, you say that, you don't, it means that something about your, you probably didn't actually go like, take off half of your house and then reinsert a new kitchen into the house, right? It's like you changed the cabinets out, maybe you changed some of the hardware, maybe you got a new sink, maybe you put a new countertop on it, but it has some sort of persistence of identity. You know what I mean? Like that's still your space of what your kitchen was, but something has qualitatively changed about it. Is it tracking? Is that making sense? Everyone, okay. The word that is used here for new heaven and new earth is kainos. Meaning, it is not indicating that, that there is like a new world that is created. It's indicating that the brokenness of the world has passed away. That there is renewal that is coming to the creation. That it is being recreated. It is getting refurbished. You're getting new hardware in the cosmon. New paint on the walls. Something is changing about it because heaven has come to earth. And the bad things pass away. There's no more crying. There's no more tears. There's no more, no, no more mourning. You're walking on, poetically speaking, streets of gold. 
There's beautiful nature around you. Physical stuff. People stuff. Relationships are mended and made right. That's the new heaven, the new earth that God is going to bring about in the future, but that has some kind of continuity with what the world is today. Because what does this do for us? This makes us realize that all things are being made new. All new things aren't being made. All things are being made new. It's not that all new things are being made. It's not just all this new stuff. What this makes us realize is that there's some sort of continuity with this world, with what's going to exist eternally, it seems like. And we all, people all debate, what, like, how much continuity? You know, like, is this podium making it into heaven? <laughs> like, I don't know. You know like, like, what exactly is that going to be like in terms of, the, like, the process going forward? Absolutely no clue, aside from the, the, the visions that we have of this. But we have to realize is that when God so loved the world that he, he died for a lot, God, Jesus did not just die for your sins. Anyone going to throw tomatoes at me? <laughs> Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He did, 100%. Like, we, you, me, like, we're the pinnacle of God's creation. Like, we're the apple of his eye. But Jesus, in a weird way, also kind of died for the podium. He died for the world, the cosmon, the materiality, for his great good creation. He died for all of it. Right? Like, like, the world was good when he created it. And Richard Bachman, in Bible and Ecology, has uh, uh, three different kinds of creation that, that, that God has made, all of which matter immensely. You have you have humans, the pinnacle, kind of the top of the triangle, if you will. But then you also have, you have an, animate and inanimate nature that is created as well. All of those things are a part of God's creative act. And when we make life just about us getting saved and us going to heaven, or what are we feeling or experiencing, or just caring about people, I know it sounds so weird to say, but I'm putting the emphasis in a certain direction, I, I hope. It's not just about us. Because we're the image bearer whose vocation is to go and care for the cosmon, the world. Our job is to be the people who go and love all the stuff, who make it flourish, who cultivate it. Most of the, of, of the language for what it means to like, to, to, of, of our task and our job is actually agrarian language in scripture. It's of growing, because that's what contextually you know, they had to do. It's about growing things, making things cultivate. It's like cutting back the weeds of the world. We have a very real task right now in the present that God is calling us to. Is everyone tracking me, or do I sound like a crazy man? <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So when we see this, five quick points that I want to go through of what heaven on earth means. First of all, heaven on earth means we don't live with a cripplingly boring expectation of eternity. I think a lot of us, we think it's like, oh, I've, I've heard people say a million times, like, heaven doesn't sound too fun to me. I think they're like country songs that are like that. Like, well, if I can't go to heaven with you, then I don't want to go to heaven at all. You know, like, I don't know, I just made that up on the spot. It's pretty impressive, I'd say. Um, what's up? Is that recorded? You guys recording? Can you delete the footage? No. Um, we don't have a cripplingly boring expectation of eternity because what we realize is what are the really, 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 really incredible moments that you experience in your life today? Relationships, people, love, art, music, food, 
dance, whatever that stuff is, imagine that times like, like a qualitative infinity, you know? Imagine that experience, but in the fullness of the face of God, right? God purifying that thing. You working with God in this incredible way. You're going to live eternally in this incredible reality with God, created, renewed by God. We should be so freaking excited about what God is going to bring to us that we cannot, we're bubbling with such hope and anticipation and waiting for it because we know that we're going to live with God in a world that is a little bit like this, but so much different at the same time. Heaven on earth means that heaven isn't far away and that you have access to it. I think it's better to, to, to not talk about, um, you know, heaven. Well, not, this is like very like semantics, like being very pedantic, but I'm a very pedantic person. Actually, I was buying these glasses and, uh, and the guy in the glasses store he was like, and I never had glasses before, but if I ever get to buy anything, I'd take like six months to figure out to purchase something because I'm really weird like that. And I go to the guy and I probably tried on like 25 pairs of glasses, which I didn't think was that much. And the guy was like, uh, he goes, should I do an English accent? I can't do one. The guy was like, you know, you're, you're, being, a bit, you're, you're being a bit fussy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm a fussy person. Like, yeah, I am normally fuss, fussy about most things. Why was I talking about that? What's the purpose of it? I'm being pedantic here, but I think it's better to not talk about, not better, but heaven coming down can sometimes be misleading in how we conceptualize how, how things are created. It's more of like heaven appearing. Like heaven is not far away in some place up there, Heaven, in many respects, is here, but you experience those moments of like thinness of the veil where heaven becomes more apparent. And also, each and every one of us, when we put our trust and our faith and our hope in Jesus of him dying for our sins and our brokenness and him covering those things for us, is that we receive the Holy Spirit, the new creational spirit that is renewing all things, but we become the little holy of holies. You become something that's lined with gold, that has incredible jewels in it. You become something in which God is present because we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. The body is not a temple, though, unless we accept the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about my body is a temple, it's really if we accept in our relationship with Jesus and say, God, I want your reign and rulership in my life, which is hard to do. It's hard to do. But when we say, God, I want your beauty, we have to say, I want to lead like you and be under your leadership and follow you. But then you get the Holy Spirit of God. You get this special spatio-temporal, and we aren't just speaking poetically, I'm speaking literally in my opinion. You might have different opinions or thoughts about this depending on your religious convictions, but you literally have the Holy Spirit of God in you in some sort of way and however material interacts with the spiritual. I don't really get all of it, but it's happening. You become a walking temple. God is not far away. God is with you. You are experiencing renewal and new creation yourself because you are a microcosm of what all of material will be like eternally. You're a little walking temple. You're a little walking eschaton, the future, new creation. Heaven on earth also means that you have a purpose. It's not just about you, though, too. You have a vocation. 
you're spreading it. You're spreading it. You don't hoard the Holy Spirit. You don't hoard new creation. You don't hoard renewal. Now you have a purpose. When you go and do something nice for someone, how is all, when you go and create something beautiful, when you go and, and, and help bring healing to someone, you're doing something matter because this world matters, right? So what does that mean for how that's going to get taken into eternity? I don't know. But Surfer talks about like the, like the bad things, the shaft being, being burned away. But then other things that you do will be maintained. It'll just even be refined. There's something about your work that gets carried over. It's, 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 like, it's like a little brick being built. I think N.T. Wright says it this way. It's, it's like you're placing one little brick in the temple edifice. And you don't see how it all fits in. You aren't going to know all of it. But you just know that God's called you to care about this. He calls you to care right now. And it's going to matter somehow. You are help. You are a part of God's process of building towards his future kingdom being here on earth. Heaven on earth means that we put our trust in Jesus. We have a vocation, but we have to realize that we are not the kingdom bearers. Jesus is. And for actually, interesting, historically, I don't have time to talk about this, but um, there was, when people were talking about eschatology, all of what we're talking about today, people thought that, they they read the scriptures as saying that it was kind of like, we are the ones who were going to bring about the kingdom. And that's when you start having a lot of like utopian movements pop up. I remember if you guys studying this stuff, I haven't studied this stuff since I was like in middle school probably. Well, that's not true, but, but like, like um, you have a lot of little movements of pockets of people trying to create perfect societies. And they think that humans are good and we can do this if we just give people enough money or if we just share our resources or if we just do this or that, whatever. They create little utopian movements. Well, they don't exist today because they didn't work. Because we are, it's not our, our kingdoms don't stand. God's kingdom ultimately stands. So we cannot be overly proud of what we create when we realize that it's God's kingdom coming, then we put our trust in God even more and trust that he's going to do it. It's not by our power, not by our might. It is only by God's. He's the only one who has the real vision, the real way of bringing about the kingdom of God. And then finally, heaven on earth means that you can experience heaven on earth. Quick story before we close. Uh, There's this gym that we go to in London. I've told a story about it before. I don't know if you guys remember. I have lots of more stories about how weird it is and crazy it is. Very weird, Jim. But there's just been this guy outside of it who I think is Italian, but his accent is so overdone, like so Italian, that I'm like, I think you're too Italian to actually be Italian. I think this is fake. And he works for this restaurant called Pasta Evangelist. And he's always giving out these like coupons, 50% coupons, and it's a scam. So if you're ever out Farrington Gym, by the Farrington Gym box, and the guy's trying to give you a sheet, don't take it. It's a scam. And he goes and he, and he yells these funny things out and he tries to hand out to all these people. And he'll be like, um, he'll be like the pasta is so good. Uh, you'll want more holes in your stomach for it. And I'm like, you don't have to add A's to pasta. Like pasta already has an A. It's like pasta, ah, 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 ah. This is ridiculous. Like maybe he's Italian and I'm just really mean and not cultured at all. That's a very real possibility too. But one day I'm walking by and he goes, uh, try our pasta. It's so good. Try our sacred pasta. I love this idea. They're the pasta evangelists spreading the good news about how great their sacred pasta is, which is funny, right? It's like a pasta shop. My guess is it's probably not even that good. But the guy, I, I love this little phrase of like the sacred pasta because just imagine at the end of time, all things are renewed, right? And so, all, therefore, all things become sacred because all things are in the presence of God. They're all, there's a, an interlocking. And it's like, the pasta is going to be sacred eternally. You know what I mean? 
like, because that material is not unrelated to God. There's not a separateness. It's not of its own kingdom. It's in the kingdom of God. I know it sounds so dumb and like, and like menial, but it's like everything, relationships, right? Intellects, our emotional health, our, our bodies in their broken ways. There becomes a sacredness because of its relationship to God, not by our doing, but by its reliance on him fully. And so, but, but today we can experience some of that stuff. We get glimpses of new creation shining through in the darkness because Jesus said, I am bringing the kingdom today, but he is going to bring it about fully in the future. So as people say, the kingdom is already here, uh, 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 already but not yet. It's already here, but not yet fully. But it is already here partially, most specifically with you. And you can have moments of seeing that veil kind of thin in your life where you experience heaven on earth. And I don't know if you guys have ever had feelings that you feel like you've had that. Um, I have, I don't know if it definitively was, but it's almost like sacred moments, really sacred moments. God has that for you right now. You can expect it, ask for it, trust God for it. That's not what it's all about because God's gonna bring it all about fully. We aren't just chasing some sort of experience, but we're, but we're trusting God and we can experience what one author, W. David O. Taylor, has a book called Glimpses of the New Creation. You can glimpse the new creation today. Trust that. Trust in Jesus to, to experience that, to, to, to give that to you, both now and eternally.